if you could go forward in time or backward in time, which one would you do? Uh, oh, God, backward. Backward? Oh, yeah. I missed paying my phone bill last week, so that's backward. I think I did too. Shit. <laughs> like you can tell that I'm prioritizing here. I think, if, I think if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have said forward. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, would like, I would like to go back 10 years. That'd be great. Uh-huh. I would yeah. like to be young again. <laughs> young Free. and spry. Pre the end times in my country. Uh, I was hanging out with I was hanging out with my niece the other day and I said that I was young and spry and she was just like, maybe not spry. And I was like <laughs> <laughs> Savage 15 year old. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, shit, we need to get her on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mimic, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Jeff, and this episode is called Wizards, Booking It Towards Adventure. God, you know, coming up with these puns at this point, like I'm I'm almost 200 episodes deep. It's, it's... The wells. I'm kind of numb to them now, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, are you? I will up my game then. Shit, here we go. Please do. The next Wizard episode will be called Taking a Whiz, just for Megan. We previously Do covered it. the abjuration and divination and illusion subclasses in our first wizard episode, which started off with a breakdown of the regular class features and the level progression. In our second wizard episode, we went over the conjuration, evocation, and transmutation subclasses, as well as the sections in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which encouraged players to consider spellbooks, ambitions, and eccentricities. The third time we discussed wizards, we looked into transmutation, necromancy, and war magic, while also arguing about which spell school is the most evil, which spells are the most insidious, the corrupting nature of power, and how to play high intelligent bad guys. And the last time we had a conversation about wizards, we went over the optional class features in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, right before we jumped into Order of the Scribes and Blade Singing. You can find these episodes as well as our other class episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we've built there. Uh, the It's Mimic podcast returns with even more wizards and lizards because Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition has more magical nerds than you can shake an unused wand at. Gross. This panel Gross. of masters <laughs> is going to take the time to investigate the ins and outs of the wizard subclasses from Exandria and get sucked into Graviturgy and Chronergy. I'm looking forward to finding out more about these subclasses because I know literally nothing about them. But before we get started, Megan and Jeff, have you ever played a wizard in D&D before? And why or why not? I want, I want to, but I have not had the opportunity. Nope. Is too complicated. A, is that what it is? <laughs> They're too complicated for you, Megan? A little bit. Like now that I've played D&D a lot more, like I feel like I could go back and I would actually like dig into it and enjoy it because I have a lot more like wealth of knowledge of how things work. But when I first started playing D&D, it was very overwhelming. Um, and I, well, to be fair, actually, no, I did play one wizard once and I got super confused and then never went back to it again. Was that so, early in your D&D career? That was early in my D&D. I think it was like the second character I ever built. I went from playing like a fighter barbarian kind of nonsense and right into like, I like, uh, what was it? Um, some blade what is it the, what is the blade one the oh, blade singing i don't remember what it was but anyways it was in a different book and like i overwhelmed myself because i'm an over preparer i'm an over reader and then i was like i don't know what any of this stuff means and then i gave up on it and i threw it out the window but like i know for a fact if i went back to it now i would understand it and be 100 comfortable with doing it but i just have not gone back to it yet so and jeff you want to yeah but i don't play often as a player and when i do i want to play everything so i'm usually slave to whatever idea 
I have at the moment and how it fits with the group, and it just hasn't come up yet. I mean, that's fair. I have never played as a wizard, not ever. The closest I ever got to a spellcaster was an artificer. I have been promised campaigns where I've prepped wizards, sorcerers, bards, uh, not a warlock yet, though. Uh, but then I never got to play in those campaigns because it is my job to always DM. Um, so I could bitch for a while, but let's move forward with the, uh, with the class features just for a quick recap so that we have some context moving forward. So wizards are the stereotypical, the, the gold standard for um, spellcasting in Dungeons and Dragons. It's what you expect to run into. You have um, really rogues, fighters, and wizards are the three main base uh, stereotypes uh, when it comes to playing different classes and choosing what kind of character that you want to start with. Most people can wrap their brain around a wizard because of either Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or just a ton of other pop culture out there. But D&D wizards are very specific. And I figure by the time that you're on episode 181 of this podcast, you've probably got a good handle on what wizards do and why. But here are the crunchy bits. They get 1d6 for a hit die per wizard level. So that means that you start off with six hit points plus whatever your constitution modifier is, which means these guys are squishy super squishy and by the time that everybody else that like level four or five can take a punch you are still cowering in the back uh with your wand between your knees there are zero armor proficiencies and you are only proficient with daggers darts slings quarterstaffs and light crossbows most wizards i've seen really rely on those light crossbows until they get a cantrip that is uh reliable uh, i love that they just of... throw small items like... <laughs> no <laughs> Don't stop it. <laughs> um, they have uh, zero tool proficiencies and uh, their saving throws are intelligence and wisdom. These are not really physical guys. Choose two skills from arcana, history, insight, investigation, medicine, and religion. I'm surprised medicine is on that list as well as, as insight. But I mean, I guess from a studying perspective, maybe. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on like what kind of background you choose as a character to give it some flavor. If medicine would be one that you fit in or with your build, sometimes it's like your dump of I've doubled up and now I have to pick something else. That's how I feel. <laughs> also with Wizards reputation for creating all the monstrosities that are out there, I feel like some of them would have academic knowledge of anatomy. Yeah. Okay. You know what? That's not a, that's not a bad point. That makes a lot of sense. You'd expect maybe nature to be on that list as well, just from spell components and whatnot, but. No, I'm... we're moving more into the serial killer side, less the hippie side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Druids find their components. Wizards just buy them in a store so they don't have to get their hands dirty. <laughs> they send out the dirty druid to go get it. So when it comes to equipment, you get either a quarterstaff or a dagger, a component pouch, or an arcane focus. I've never known anyone to say, fuck the focus, get a component pouch. Uh, you get a scholar's pack or an, a explorer's pack, and you get a spell book. We have waxed poetic on previous episodes about spell books, so we'll just kind of blow past them right now. For spell casting, you do get cantrips. You get three at first level. You uh, prepare your spells, and you can go all the way up to ninth level, depending on whether or not you multi-class. Your spell save DC is eight, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your intelligence modifier. So this is one of the only intelligence classes. You are a ritual caster, and you can use spell casting foci. You consistently learn more and more spells and more powerful spells and you can cast more per day 
uh, as you level, but for the most part, you are fairly limited at the beginning. When you are at low level, you have the ability to choose your arcane tradition. That's at second level. A lot of classes kick in at third level, so this one comes a little bit early. You do get ability score improvements at 4th, 8th, 12th, 16th, and 19th, and maybe feats as well, or rather instead, depending on whether or not your DM likes to play with the feats variant rule. And then the only other thing that you get besides just spell level progression is at 18th level. So there's a huge jump between your arcane tradition at second level, which is your subclass, and then 18th level is your spell mastery, uh, which lets you cast a couple of spells at will. So you cast them at their lowest level without expending a spell slot uh, when you have them prepared. So if, for example, they have to be first level and a second level wizard spell. So if it's magic missile, for example, you don't use a spell slot when you cast it. You have to spend eight hours in study to exchange one or both of the spells you choose for different spells of the same levels, but you have to have them prepared ahead of time. And then, of course, when you reach 20th level, you gain mastery over two powerful spells, so you get two third-level wizard spells, which, let's be honest, are Fireball and Counterspell. Uh, always. And, yeah. Always. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you always have these spells prepared. They don't count against the number of spells that you have prepared, and you can cast each of them once at third level without expending a spell slot. But you can only do that once per short or long rest. If you want to cast either at a higher level, you have to use uh, spell slot as normal. But that's it. Wizards are pretty straightforward just in the, the base design of them. It's when we start to get into the subclasses that get a little bit more in-depth and intense. Just really quickly, do you guys, when you hit the ASIs, are you sitting there looking at boosting your intelligence just for your spellcasting potency? Or would you rather be digging into feats or bolstering con? Or when you just think about wizards in general, how do you think about their ability score improvements? Let's uh, roll initiative. 10. Natural one. I, I got two ones, so I got an 11. Um, for me, I am all about that that potency because it's also going to affect my spell save DC. And there are so few ways to increase that in 5th edition. You can't even get that through most uh, magic items. So for me, I want that because a lot of the really good spells force a spell or a save, right? And so I want that to be as high as possible. Megan? Yeah, I mean, from a stat building sense, yes, that makes sense. But I am a, uh, I like digging into feats. <laughs> That's disgusting. I know. I just wanted, I needed to pause for, for dramatic effect. Hey, we don't um, keep shame here. Nope. But uh, to be clear, like I do enjoy, because I feel like wizards are so boring if you don't dig into different ways to give them some kind of a creative background or something. Like there's not a whole heck of a lot to them unless you use certain things. And I just feel like feats give them a little bit of a, you can give them some more character through feats, almost like you would with a background. So that's just me. I subscribe to the paladin school of better healing through the murder of your enemies. So in a similar sense with a wizard, you really don't have a lot of potency outside your magic as far as survivability goes. The easiest way for me not to die is to make everybody that I don't like dead. Give me the highest stats I can get. That was the best sentence I've ever heard. Can you please put that on a bumper sticker for me? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like, I need to write that sucker down. Like, I need that in my background at work. Like, I just... <laughs> just like a six-foot banner. <laughs> please. <laughs> Floating behind my car. That's all yeah. I want. <laughs> it's like the, uh, like the pickup truck flag. It's just Megan's got that on the back of whatever... <laughs> Honda Civic. <laughs> uh, it's a Toyota Corolla. Thank you. <laughs> 
so it's a different color toaster. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Very dare. It'll last forever and you know it. <laughs> yeah, it's a toaster. It's an appliance. <laughs> All right. So speaking of uh, items you own, I'm trying to find a Segway, but it's not working. At least you don't drive a Segway. Um, <laughs> Could you imagine if I did, though? <laughs> yes, 100%. With a banner off the back with that sentence just flapping in the wind as you speed down the sidewalk. Yeah. See, the question, the real question is, would Megan wield a lance while riding her Segway so as to skewer people on the sidewalk? 100%. Well, I drive a <laughs> Lancer, so I, I, I do. <laughs> I hate, um, I hate everything about this. <laughs> anyways, let's move on. Nobody who wants to play Wizards likes talking about cars. So um, <laughs> let's, uh, that, that is the opposite of the stereotype. <laughs> so, let's, let's talk about what they do like to talk about, and that is playing with their wands. Mm. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about the arcane focus that Wizards get. We haven't really touched on this too much, and wands are a little bit funky in fifth edition they're actually pretty straightforward but you gotta dig around to find all the different rules in all the different books and some of it feels a little contradictory here there so i've broken it all down um it's not like it has its own great big section like it did in previous editions um so you gotta you gotta look around about what a wand can give you and honestly most wizards i've seen operate with a staff because it's easy to wrap your brain around and a spell book for an arcane focus because you do get to use a wand, staff, uh, orb, a crystal, uh, or a rod. But wizards can also use a spell book. So um, let's talk about wands for a second. Wands are essentially sticks that can be wielded in one hand. However, there's something magical about them. They're light and most are wooden, but they don't have to be. Some are made of bone and coral and stone, and they're even metal wands that are listed in the Dungeon Master's guide harry potter has some great examples of what wands look like but they're far more varied in dungeons and dragons and the look of the wand should give away kind of what that wand can do although you don't necessarily have to have an inscription or runes or anything on it they're infused with magic so it's not just any stick but they are a little bit more ornate than the average uh, item, like the average stick that you would find on the ground. So they've often been carved or crafted to look like what you would expect a wand would look like with a handle. Rods, however, are bigger and heftier, and they don't get the love that you'd think they would in 5th edition. Rods got a lot more love in previous editions, uh, but apparently yeah, I can see you both like <laughs> grinning. So like, <laughs> calm down. Um, when you think about a rod, think about a scepter or a table leg or like a small mace. They're usually yeah. held vertically in the hand as opposed to a wand, which gets pointed. Uh, and they're more durable than wands are. Rods are fairly rare, and they're not usually considered for arcane foci when it comes to the average player. Um, they're kind of like the orb and the crystal, and they're usually ignored in favor of a spell book or an amulet or a ring or other items that your DM will let you use. Usually, rods, orbs, and crystals are only used as foci for overwhelmingly thematic reasons, like a fortune teller with her crystal ball will use an orb, or a wizard king will have a scepter that will be a rod. Staves, which are the plural of staff, are longer, like walking sticks. And as a matter of fact, wizards have the option to get a quarterstaff at first level, like I mentioned, as part of their starting gear. And the main art for the wizard class in the player's handbook has a wizard leaning on a staff. A wizard staff can be wielded as a melee weapon, while rods and wands cannot. I mean, honestly, I'd let a player use a rod as a club, but that's just me. So 
we often think about old wizards with with staves but there's no reason a young wizard can't have one so when it comes to wands and rods and staves you should be thinking small medium and large now these can be used as an arcane focus for a sorcerer a warlock or a wizard and a specifically yew wand that is y-e-w uh so a wand made of yew wood can be used as a druidic focus for some reason you don't get to use a different kind of, of wood for this so um here's what it says in the player's handbook casting some spells require particular objects specified in parentheses in the component entry a character can use a component pouch or a spellcasting focus in place of the components specified for a spell. But if a cost is indicated for a component, a character must have that specific component before he or she can cast the spell. If a spell states that a material component is consumed by the spell, the caster must provide this component for each casting of the spell. A spellcaster must have a hand free to access these components, but it can be the same hand that he or she uses to perform somatic components. So holding a wand in your hand or a staff or a rod will allow you to not have to hold the the material components in your hand but sometimes it does use it up which means that if you have a bunch of components that are sitting in your pouch uh, some of them may slowly be turning to ash or dust as you're casting spells i don't know many dms that enforce uh spell components jeff do you if they're things that need to be that have a high material cost or are consumed other than that if a player wants to use it for flavor and describe it knock themselves out they usually don't yeah the only one that i'm really <laughs> stickler about is diamonds for resurrection magic mm-hmm. um and that's just because i hate resurrection so i i make you fucking earn it um but no i'm i'm the same way for the most part i am willing to just let that shit slide and say ah it's a component pouch uh unless my players want to get really granular with it which i know for a fact none of them do not every wand requires attunement but some do some wands even require attunement by specifically spellcasters and spellcasters are defined as any creature that can cast a spell through a trait or feature not through an enchantment or an item So if you can cast a spell, you can use all wands, but not every wand needs you to do that. As a matter of fact, there's really no rules about having to attune to just your regular spellcasting focus, which I thought was a little interesting. It seems like not all the time, but sometimes anybody can pick up a wand and use it. Some wands have magic already infused in them. And these have a number of charges that are set usually by the DMG or if it's homebrew, the dungeon master. Uh, I almost never hand out a wand with unlimited uses unless it's going to have something like message or mage hand or something uh, like a cantrip only. For some reason, wands that have charges recharge at dawn. Every single one of them seems to do that. I don't understand why. I would really like someone like disintegrate should recharge at dusk. Raise dead should recharge at midnight. Not that I necessarily want to track time, but if I'm already tracking dawn anyway, I think that makes a certain amount of sense. I think the is biggest that- reason that it's done that way is just so that it happens at the same time as completing a long rest to make it less note, less bookkeeping for players and DMs. Yeah, I think that some players, I mean, there are definitely some adventures that 
want you to uh, to do things at night, whether you're sneaking or stealthing. A lot of in-town stuff tends to be at night if you're going to be adventuring. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter if you're in dungeons or caves, but it is something that I would think about if I'm going to design my own wand, especially if it's going to be evil magic. I'm not going to have it recharge when the sun comes out. Right. Kind of makes sense. I feel like now, it also adds a little bit of a different flavor too. If you give someone like a magical item like this and just be like, okay, well, it's different though. It re- you realize it didn't recharge in the morning or what have you, or something like that. Different. Flavor. I know that I know that not everyone uses D&D Beyond as much as I do for characters, uh, sheets and all that stuff. But um, I have a magic item in play in my Stride campaign that is supposed to recharge at dusk. And there is not a mechanism for that within D&D Beyond's magic item creation system. And it drives me nuts. Oh yeah, that's annoying. So they can't just click a button. It, it only recharges charges at short rest, long rest, you know, but it won't, it doesn't give you an option for dusk, which when it's the Tome of Strahd should not be dawn. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Huh? It seems like a, like a shortcoming. Well, I mean, Wizards of the Coast is buying D&D Beyond, so we'll see if that changes. I doubt it. Wizards has not been known to be technologically savvy in the past, so, mm. uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, when you do recharge a wand, you usually have to roll a specific die that's outlined in the description of the item, uh, and that determines how many charges you get back that day. If you use the last charge on the wand, you have to roll a d20. If you roll a one, the wand turns to ash and is destroyed. There are no rules specified about how to specifically create wands or store spells in them, um, but you can use crafting magic items rules from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and there are rules in previous editions that can be researched. You can guarantee it's going to take time, money, spell slots, and weird ingredients. I would apply all of these rules to staves and rods and orbs and crystals, anything that could be a spellcasting focus. Sometimes ones can affect your spellcasting modifier for spell attack rolls, and I would let all of those things do that as well. A plus two uh, orb is something you don't see very often, but it would be really flavorful. Now, wands never have both charges and a modifier boost on anything that I could find um, in any of the books, which means it tends to be one or the other. So you can cast spells or it can boost uh, the spells that you have in your spell slot. And no wand ever affects a spell save DC so far, which is an interesting limitation. And I'm not sure why they would design it that way, but if you go hunting for it, you're wasting your time. So I have a couple of questions about wands and staves and whatnot. So let's grab our dice and roll initiative. Two, I'm on a roll. Well, I got a 16. <laughs> this is the curse of the DM as I ask myself questions. And he's like, <laughs> talking to me. So, all right. Um, and the first one was, how do, how do you feel about handing out magic items that are like this? I love handing out wands. I love handing out staves and rods and orbs and magical items. Um, I don't like the charge mechanic. I don't like that you can recharge items. It drives me nuts. I want stuff that is disposable, that is not reusable, so that I can hand out more stuff later. Keeps the game neat and and cycling through different items. Um, but that's just me. Megan, how do you feel about wands and recharging and focus and all that stuff? Wands. I do agree that I feel like there has to be some limitations to it, but I enjoy the idea of handing out magical items that give characters the ability to get a taste of something different because it might give um, like your lawful good character a taste of something evil or vice versa, right? So um, I find that it's a lot of fun to throw a different type of magic at folks. I also like the idea of handing out a bunch of magical like wands and rons, like rons? 
like a bunch of wands and stuff like that. And they start trying to identify each one and then they just randomly identify a bunch of sticks. I just find that that would be hilarious. That's just sweet. But um, but no, I like the idea of giving your players a taste to something different, especially if they're like going into something new. And to be fair, as a, as a player and as play, playing with other players a lot, we tend to forget we have them, to be honest with you. So I, I don't care if they have them because 90% of the time they're going to forget that they have them and they're never going to use them unless they get a gentle reminder of from the DM or for myself being like, hey, remember that thing that you picked up like seven episodes ago? You could probably use that today. It might come in handy, right? <laughs> yeah. I like that you said Rons because it also implies wads. Rons. <laughs> Jeff, how do you feel about magic items like this? Well, first off, I wanted to say, and this is for you, Adam, specifically, that I think one of the most overlooked aspects of wands in D&D, for for a wizard, if you get to the end of your adventuring day and you need a little bit of a pick-me-up, you can just kind of swirl your wand around in a cup of hot water and you have you wand tea. I hate it. <laughs> I, hate, I hate everything that you just said. Um, <laughs> I don't want that on a banner. You can burn that one. <laughs> I... <laughs> I do like both receiving and giving out wands and staves and magic items and stuff like that. One of the things I don't like is when DMs are a little bit over generous to the detriment of the group, such as uh, my group doesn't have a cleric, so I'm just going to give them a wand of healing words like that. I feel like shortcuts the, the problem solving process for the players. If the group dynamic has a deficiency, that's a problem to be solved. And that's part of adventuring is working around the holes in your abilities. So I like giving out cool stuff. I don't like giving out cool stuff that's specifically targeted to party weaknesses. I like going at it from a more random perspective than a sympathy perspective, I guess. I do feel like if you limit it, though, like to Adam's point of you only get like it's a, it sure. has five charges and right. it only has three left. <clears throat> and you have like six party members and yeah. five of them are down. Like how, like you're going to have to pick and choose which are your favorites, right? Or like yeah. decide if now is the time to use it or, because I feel like that's always the fear when you're giving something special from your DM or a magical item from a DM is, is now the moment I use this or do I save this for the big, big bad? And I think which, that that adds a level of complexity which, to your decisions. Which we all know that every player saves it until the last fight and then only uses 10% of the stuff they were given in the whole campaign. Oh, 100% and forgets 90% of their abilities. Yeah, this is, this is the Skyrim <laughs> problem where I have a safe in my house with 10,000 potions in it that I will never need and won't sell. 100%. <laughs> I think what you should do is hand out, especially late game, uh, hand out a whole bunch of magic items to the players and do do what I did, which is you overload them with really powerful magic stuff. They get really, really happy. Then you end the campaign and then use them as the big bad evil guys with all these magic items. And the player's like, oh, fuck, I saved that scroll <laughs> and now it's going to be used against my level four character. Shit. Mm -hmm. All right, my next question. Do you let a player character attune to more than one wand at a time? I absolutely do. I don't see why I wouldn't. I saw quite a bit of argument about this online, but you have a set number of attunement slots. If that's how you want to use them, that's how you want to use them. I also, way back in 3.5, played an artificer that had a bandolier of wands, so he would grab and use as he wanted, and I thought that was so neat and interesting. <laughs> okay, so we're on Zoom, and Jeff just like, whipped out his paintbrushes like they are wands. So I took a screenshot of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
the idea of attuning to more than one wand at a time can be really fun and really flavorful. I also like the idea of attuning to multiple staves at a time or rods and just like whipping out one big ass thing at a time out of your backpack or from inside your robe, right? Just <laughs> staff after staff. Fireball? No. Okay, drop it. Cone of cold? No. All right, drop it. Lightning bolt. I feel like that would be its own form of chaotic magic. Because like all I could think about was like from Hercules, the would you like to buy a sundial? Like the... <laughs> and like just like a, a jacket full of wands but you like you could attune to all of them or like to your slots but you could you have no idea what the wand does like just like you have to pick at random <laughs> i think that would be fun but no i think I, I again to your point i feel like if you have a certain amount of attunement slots if you want to use them for your wands use them for your wands like you're gonna get no other magical items other than that and i feel like not a lot of players would but i don't know that's just me i I, I would say the only reason why I would argue against this is the one thing I saw online is are each one of them going to be your arcane focus or can you only have one arcane focus? It's never clearly defined that there's any process to making something your arcane focus for the most part. Yeah. I don't see why any wizard can't identify something that can be an arcane focus and just put one down and pick up another if they know it's something you can channel magic through. So who cares? The only the only rule that I would have against that would be if you're trying to use your spell book because I know yeah. that some of them are like spell books are very specific to the wizard, but uh, and so, some wizards can use them as a as a arcane focus. But yeah, I I I guess for warlocks they've got very specific um, like the I'm thinking Pact of the Tome, right? Like that would be yeah. another instance of a very specific arcane focus, especially if you're getting your arcane focus from like a patron. But those but, are also exceptions to the majority of circumstances though i agree with you 100 percent. but yeah we've discussed i don't know if i was involved you've discussed in other episodes of the show adam about having an enemy with an item that gave additional attunement slots (laughs) yeah i love the idea like i just had my paintbrushes in between all my fingers of someone just having a whole handful of wands and just going nuts with four or five different wands at the same time and not really knowing what's going to come out of the next wand. It's like a whole new level of Harry Potter battle. Of it's like you're, you just like throw your hand out, you got like seven wands in your hand. You're just like, ah! It's the beholder <laughs> problem, but it, it's it's a kobold instead. <gasps> like you, you roll for which wand goes off, just like the eye rays on a beholder. You had me at kobold. <laughs> I mean, the, the two the two types of people I can imagine doing that are gnomes are, are kobolds and gnomes. Yeah, so uh, and an orc that doesn't know any better yeah <laughs> Ooh, yeah an, an orc barbarian they just got who picked up six wands in the previous dungeon <laughs> i cast magic Ooh, magic <laughs> <laughs> there's your wild magic barbarian right there you don't even need the subclass just give them six wands uh, okay speaking of wild magic and and ridiculous ideas there's nothing codified in fifth edition but what happens when a wand or a staff gets broken? Like, if there are charges left in it, for me, it, it, like, if it was infused with magic and there are charges left in it, it's going to explode. It is going to it is going to have some sort of um, shock wave that comes out of it. Probably cast that spell as many times as there are charges left. Just chaos, something like that. But if it is just a arcane focus and that's it, it's a wand that is this wand allows you to cast uh, your spells through it, then it sucks. It hurts. I don't, I don't, I don't do anything weird with that. It is an item. I love the idea of um, if there's charges left and it breaks or it snaps, it pops those spells off. 
Because I can just imagine like a DM being a dick and your rogue has like a, a bunch of wands in their pocket and they get like pushed off a cliff, but they survive, but they land on all of the wands and all the wands crack under their body. And then every single spell <clears throat> just like pops off underneath them. <laughs> like what a great character death that would be. That would be like the, I would like to kill Dan's character moment for you. It's like chucking <laughs> a grenade in a fireworks factory. 100%. <laughs> it's just like because the they fell backwards and broke the wand. <laughs> I like the idea as well of being really ironic with it. Like you throw the rogue off and he's got, he's got a wand of featherfall in his pocket, but his hands are bound. So he can't reach it. So he lands, it breaks. And then it casts featherfall on him while he's sitting there at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, or it would just be like, it is a wand of like healing word or something like that. And he like lands on it, like half, like lands half dies, but then cracks it and then heals himself. Cause <laughs> he broke the wand. <laughs> The sound of that is, ow! (laughs) 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 Jeff, what do you do when a Wanderer's staff gets broken? Uh, I'm in agreement with all this, but I think the, also the power of the reaction of a Wanderer's staff breaking would be correlated with the, I I don't know if I just said that backwards. The more powerful the item, the more big the boom. Yes, I think so. If if you break a staff of power, you've got fucking local geographical problems. Like maybe you have uh, not necessarily the wild magic table, but like just a random force shockwave, right? Like force damage shockwave that comes out. um, When you break anything that's rare or above and you're rolling d12s for damage and shit depending on how powerful it is or how charged it is like it's going to depend item by item what happens um i would also have it be if this wand or staff or something is a phylactery for a lich or it is the signature wand of a level 20 wizard or if it's a it's the personal wand that a um a player has been obsessing over for so long they've attuned to it and they've got all sorts of extra special stuff and then it gets broken i don't mind handing out a level of exhaustion that hurts you deeply and now you are unable you have disadvantage on rolls until you finish a rest like that is the kind of shit that i want to see but again that's for really high powered stuff i wouldn't do that on a wand of magic missile or you know detect magic so what happens if you break the wand of smiles well you frown that's 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 (laughs) No, if you break the if you break the wand of smiles, you are stuck grinning Joker style for the next like one uh, d ten days. Why so serious? Disadvantage <laughs> on persuasion checks for the next day. Yeah, everyone's just suspicious of you. <laughs> it would be disadvantage on intimidation checks for the first few minutes, and then afterwards you'd have advantage because that shit's creepy as fuck. Absolutely, <laughs> it just gets increasingly easier to be deceptive. <laughs> I know we mention it in just about every episode that we've got a subreddit, r slash it's a mimic, but I wanted to point you guys directly there because that's where I keep the episode guide updated every week. Also, we have a post there that's stickied at the top, which is there for mailbag questions, and we refresh that on a regular basis. I know that I'm in there as often as I possibly can, updating the list so that we're ready to go the next time that a mailbag episode comes around. And everyone except Terry is lurking around on there. It doesn't feel like it, but I damn well know for a fact, because they mentioned it to me, that Jeff and Dan and Dave and James and Kyle were all lurking around, waiting for someone to post something and feeling, I don't know, weirdly awkward, I guess they feel awkward. Anyway, 
feel free to talk to the people directly. You don't have to just kind of post an official question. If you want to call somebody out for something funny they said or something they got wrong on an episode, that's really the place to do it. You can send interesting links to D&D related nonsense that you found online or just come in with a cool story about something that happened in your campaign. It's really the best way to get a hold of us for just kind of shooting the shit when it's not an official question or a request or a shout out. And of course, you could just shit talk Terry behind his back because he's the only one that's not on there and he's not going to check it. It's r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You're invited to come hang out at your leisure. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, so we only have two subclasses to go through today, and I don't have either. So um, I'm going to hand the floor over to you guys. You want to roll initiative and see which one of you is going to go first? Yeah. 17. 20. What? Well, I went from a 1 to a 2 to a 20. Get the go. fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff, which one do you have? I have Graviturgy. So right, take it away. All right. So my first thought is... Um, is a wizard that gets really excited about graviturgy magic graviturgid? I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm sorry, I muted my mic, but I want you to know that I just had a full fucking rage. <laughs> the graviturgy wizard is someone that's shown mastery over the mystical forces that attract and repel matter from each other. They learn to harness gravity to potentially devastating effect. When you choose the Graviturgy Magic subclass at level two, you get your first subclass feature, which is something called Adjust Density. As an action, you can change the weight of one creature or object, uh, object within 30 feet of you that you can see. The target of this ability can't be bigger than large-sized. You can choose to double or halve the weight of the target for up to a minute, and this is concentration, just like a spell. A creature that's had their weight had yeah a creature that's had their weight halved picks up an extra ten feet of speed, doubles their jumping distance, but they have disadvantage on both strength saves and strength checks. A creature that's had their weight doubled loses ten feet of speed, but has advantage on strength saves and checks. You can target huge or smaller creatures starting at level ten, and there is no limit on how many times you can do this. Hmm. Just at will, make yeah. things heavier or lighter. That what a, seems... what a fun game that would be. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. That uh, that seems overly complicated. Just this feels three point five to me. You can tell that Matt Mercer designed this because he comes from a, a Pathfinder three point five background, and this is so much additional math for the sake of something neat that you can just do at will, and not for the player, for the DM. Yeah. So this is this is really neat and flavorful, and I like it. But I mean, fuck. All right. So the next feature you get is at level six, and it's called Gravity Well. You can now manipulate gravity affecting the creatures around you. Anytime you cast a spell on a creature, you can choose to move them up to five feet to any unoccupied space around it if they are either willing to be moved, you hit them with a spell attack, or if they fail their save to the spell you cast. Critically, you get to choose to do this after you know that you hit or the target fails their save like a paladin smite. So you just get to shove people around when you hit them with magic. Or if they're your friend and you want to push them away from a cliff edge or something. I was about to say, like, <clears throat> does it have to be a willing creature or can you just, like, yeet your friend across the board? They, they have to be willing. Right? Or or you have to hit them with a spell. Yeah. Okay. So it's so. either you attack your friend or they would have to be willing. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. This, 
you know, again, this feels really powerful, but it's not that different than repelling blast that sorcerers get. From yeah, magic. this one's fairly mild and fun if you're creative. Yeah. Um, at tenth level, you attain the ability called violent attraction. Sounds like an ability Perhaps. I should have. <laughs> if a cre- <laughs> if a creature within sixty feet of you that you can see hits with a weapon attack, you can use your reaction to add power to the attack. The affected attack gains an additional 1d10 of that weapon damage as a weapon's damage type. So like you're adding gravity to an arrow or a sword swing, kind of. Uh, Also, if someone within 60 feet of you takes fall damage, you can increase the fall damage by 2d10 as a reaction, as an alternate version of this ability. (laughs) You can use use this feature a number of times up to your intelligence modifier, and it recharges on a long rest. Megan, I want you to know that you will be facing these things as a regular occurrence. (laughs) This is also really fun if you combine it with the first ability so you cast a spell that pushes someone off the bridge and then you add fall damage and you can make them heavier too you would have had to make them heavier the time the turn before which gives them advantage on a strength check so like you get you could yes it gets a little fucking um well i like the idea of knocking them over the edge you do a bunch of damage and then you make them heavy so they can't get back up the cliff that's yeah fair enough absolutely yeah I thought you were just wanting to hit the ground and create a crater or something. <laughs> I mean, that would be fun. We we did that with the Loxodon cleric. So it landed on a hobgoblin and left a crater. If you have the right timing, you have the perennial joke of polymorphing something into a whale. So it felt like, yep, add more damage. <laughs> All right. Finally, at 14th level, you get the event horizon ability. As an action, you start giving off a powerful gravitational field around yourself that affects creatures around you for up to a minute. This is also a concentration effect. While this ability is active, anytime a hostile creature starts a turn within 30 feet of you, they have to make a strength save against your spell save DC. If they fail, they take 2d10 force damage and their speed is reduced to zero until the start of their next turn. But even if they succeed, they take half damage and every foot they move costs an extra two feet of movement. Your 30 feet of movement just became 10 feet within this range. If If you succeed on your save. You can use this once per long rest, or you can spend a third level or higher spell slot to do it again. I like that. That's that's fun and flavorful and not nearly as... It, it feels like it's at the right level, too. Yeah. But sorry, um, does it is it just like around you, or can you pick a yeah. spot that it happens No, on? it radiates from yourself. It's it's oh. the don't touch me button. I like that. Yeah, I personally I enjoy that. Don't <laughs> touch me. I'm either going to stop you in your tracks, and it's going to hurt, or you just are too slow to catch me. Yeah. Get out of my I, space. <laughs> I'm just really glad that Event Horizon doesn't actually send you off to some hell dimension and have Sam Neill fucking claws eyes out on like directly in front of you because fuck. How is that movie just like, oh my God, I'm going to sit down and watch it again. That's nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think that this subclass offers spatial manipulation in a way that's missing from some of the other subclasses. Um, it adds a very overt set of skills that demonstrate a wizard's ability to exert themselves over the world around them in a unique way. If you're deliberate in your spell selection when building one of these wizards, it would be very easy to theme your abilities to match the subclass very well. In particular, there is a chart in the in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount book labeled uh, Dunamancy spells. The ones that are starred as Graviturgy fit very, very well. Spells like Magnify Gravity, Immovable Object, Gravity Sinkhole, Gravity Fissure, Dark Star, and Ravenous Void are all right in the wheelhouse. And you can just manipulate all kinds of movement around you. It'll be a lot of fun. That's the thing that I really appreciate about 
um, the Wildbound book is that it didn't just create subclasses, it created spells to go with them. Yeah, yeah. very specific ones that are very flavorful and they're fun. Can all technically be used by them, unless, of right. course, discussion with DM or like learnings or what have you, right? Right. Um, I will preface this next bit by mentioning I am not a consumer of superhero things. So, uh, which Adam and I have discussed at length. As such, I am assuming you two are probably going to have more capability than I to come up with examples for pop culture inspirations for this subclass. Uh, my biggest touchstone comes from the wildly popular Stormlight Archive book series by Brandon Sanderson and the character of Kaladin, who has the ability to manipulate the powers of adhesion and gravitation to horrifying effect against his enemies yeah you know it feels like there should be more more gravity bullshit and superhero stuff and we you know we don't get a whole lot of it it does exist but it's mostly just different ways to fly so you're saying yeah. i didn't miss anything got it no well all i could think of was i don't and it might i could be incorrect i'm trying to remember violet from the mr incredibles from the incredibles what was she is she's a force field but i'm pretty yeah. sure she can actually manipulate gravity too i don't remember if that was a thing or not but like i have yeah. a weird mind in that but that's a kid's cartoon so yeah I don't know. there's 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 something there i think it was just like kinetic energy yeah but and again a lot of it's just used to be able to fly or build force fields it's not really they don't really use it the way that it's used in as written in these books so but yeah as far as the party role that these guys play um they can be used a number of ways but it is i think a particularly good support caster the ability to push and pull on enemies changing their position in battle adding punch to arrows and sword strikes is potentially very potent when you use it wisely with the abilities of other characters in the party you can set up the paladin for a smite by pushing the enemy within range or pushing the paladin within range you can work with a barbarian to goad an enemy into a place where you can push them off a bridge. Um, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention the potentially huge impact that being able to have objects weight at will can be. A creative mind can use this in a dungeon to great effect. Absolutely. I'm going to take this giant gold statue with me and it's going to weigh nothing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a boulder blocking the cave entrance. Oh, well, it's half as heavy now. Paladin and Barb, go try it again. Yeah, just kick it over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I would love that to be like a sneaky thing. Like you as the wizard. They're just like, they don't know that you have gravity powers yet. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, we can't move this boulder out of the way. The wizard's just like, mm, let me try. <laughs> I can do this, I promise. Yeah. Is, and like, just like the, pushes it out of the way. <laughs> is the barbarian trying to hold the door shut to keep the enemy out? Well, now he weighs 600 pounds. Good luck getting through the door. Yeah. Or just make the door weigh 600 pounds and then just run away. <laughs> so somebody like creative it. and thoughtful can definitely... Did you freeze again, Adam, or are you just quiet? I'm just I'm just very quiet. I'm sitting here racking my okay. brain to think if there's a, a gravity-based superhero. And <laughs> so oh, you're, you're still not, trying to figure that out. Oh yeah, no. I, I, I broke vaguely it. look, look, I worked in a comic book store. My nerd, my nerd goes deep on this. Yeah. There was a gravity hero, anti-hero that was part of the Thunderbolts way back in the I'm I'm not sure I'm gonna he had like a it was like gravator or something like that like and that was the only that's the only thing i can think of off the top of my head there well, is literally a character called gravity and is a fictional superhero appearing in american comic books published by marvel well i mean points for originality well i just googled it so, <laughs> so yep. yeah no i'm i'm sitting here trying to think what else you can do like does it feel weird you don't get a fly speed i mean you're a wizard you can just learn the spell fly and have that be part of your gravity-based skills i think that i think there should be I, I just want there to be a a little 
thing that you get at like, I don't know, fifth level, eighth level, somewhere around there, where if you are flying, you get an additional 10 feet of movement or something, right? But I feel like because it comes from your magic, it would have to be a concentration fly. Like you couldn't just fly. You would be casting a spell to be able to do it. Kind of like in my mind, you're you're manipulating gravity to be able to do the flying. It's not an innate nature that you can do that. So right. it would have to either be concentration or have some kind of a limitation. Yeah, but, but I would just apply it to just flying in general, whether or not you're on a magic carpet or you cast fly and you're concentrating on the spell mm-hmm. or you're an Aarakocra, right? You just go faster because gravity is not affecting you as much. True. Or you can fly, but you can only hover five feet off the ground. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I think this this subclass is heavily subject to the creativity of the player tailoring their spell list to the feel of the subclass. Very and, fair. Um, if you're really basing your character build off the subclass first and then just getting whatever spells you want, it's not going to be nearly as flavorful as or as fun, particularly if you get hung up on stuff like fly speed. Yeah. Uh, you see, on the on the other hand, I also want you to be able to punish people that are that are swimming so like and now you sink because yeah like, you just double their weight yeah well i guess yeah so oh my god you can drown people mm-hmm. i can thank you for permission all right let's <laughs> <No! out. laughs> da- and, and dave was never heard from again <laughs> <laughs> oh he floats the uh <laughs> not, if, not if you double his weight <laughs> um Let's uh, let's grab our dice and roll initiative. I have a couple of uh, questions for you. All right. I rolled a five. Rolled a six. one. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. So going first with the six, Jeff. Uh, what stats or race or background, like what is the synergy you're looking for with this build? I'm thinking less in terms of the relevant ability score improvement with races for this, um, but more in terms of the fun flavor I like to attach to it. I like this for dwarves or earth genasi. I like the idea of people that are so in tune with the mass of rock beneath their feet that they learn how to manipulate the effect that mass has on the world around them. The dwarf, again, the example I gave, the dwarf looking at a boulder blocking the tunnel quickly halves its weight and prompts the barbarian to try moving it again. Um, that's kind of the feel I'm going for. I like that. I, I would apply that as well to anybody that's from the Underdark. Like this, this yeah. feels like it suits Duragar really well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that I'm going to... I'm going to really focus on with this background. If I'm going to lean into the, the earth and the, um, the underground themes, uh, I'm going to start thinking about, it's probably some sort of miner or, or deep delver or crafter. When I'm looking at my background, I'm not thinking sailor or, you know, scholar so much as, as I am um, more like artisans and whatnot. Um, Just because I'm kind of leaning in that direction and it makes a solid thematic picture. Although, at face value, there's nothing about gravity and artistry that necessarily stand out to me. Um, I really like the idea of a Goliath because they're big and powerful and kind of kind of earth-like and, and stony as well. Um, there are going to be a lot of Goliaths that are dexterous and strong and they're all physical and whatnot. Having a wizard Goliath that is actively manipulating gravity around still feels very um very raw and tribal the way that goliath's uh, society would want it to be plus doing some of this type of stuff when you live on the side of a mountain could be very useful yeah very um well i didn't want to go too heavy into the character build i wanted to keep it light and airy and i actually wanted to go I like i, I don't I get it <laughs> megan i don't get it Shut up. <laughs> Megan, can you explain that for me? No, I'm not mansplaining that to you. 
<laughs> but I, I like the idea of, of building one of these and making them an entertainer. So like using their magic for whimsy and whimsicalness. And like, I just, I don't know. I feel like you can go super dark with a lot of wizardry. Whereas I feel like this is one that I would want to go a little bit more entertaining and like being like maybe a circus performer. Like um, been very inspired in our campaign by a bunch of characters that were built as circus performers. And I think that this would fit well into that. And I think it would be a lot of fun that you can easily distract folks with this kind of magic. And I just think it would be a lot of fun. Building on that, I think it could be really fun to play a Graviturgy wizard that's a fairy. Mm. because like leaning into the tricksy aspect of you know having invisibility or something cast on you and you sneak up to someone and then shove or you know (laughs) all these different kind of like trickery cleric thoughts but in a fairy wizard yeah like a very fey fuckery kind of thing how does how does this class affect jumping I mean, it doesn't in name. That would be up to DM discretion. Yeah. Well, oh, 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 uh, the making things lighter doubles your jump distance. Um, okay. That is actually something I had uh, a thought about. Yeah. So one of the reasons that that first, that second level ability could be potentially very, very powerful. Um, yeah. You line, the DM lines a group of players up against a 20 foot chasm that's 500 feet deep or whatever. Well, the wizard can take their time one at a time, double the jump distance of everyone in the group, one after the other after the other, and suddenly that's not an obstacle anymore. You know, you could play a dragoon if you're uh, a Herongon, right? So you make yourself lighter and you can jump just ridiculous uh, yeah. So huh. As much as you want. Yeah. Parkour. Um, also, <laughs> if you make somebody bigger as well, that affects their strength? It gives advantage on strength saves and checks, yes. Okay, because so it, it doesn't actually affect the modifier because it's the modifier right. that matters um, for jumping. Right. Um, yeah. So however, it doesn't. However, if you have to do an athletics check, it would affect that. So, which is interesting because it's clearly based on your ability to put your strength through your footing. Yeah. You're more solidly connected to the ground, which depending on what you're doing with an athletics check doesn't make sense all the time. It's like a climb check. Yeah, it's interesting to me that both going lighter or heavier can give you a bonus to jumping. Hmm. Anyway, um, my next question is, in your opinion, so Jeff, what are the strengths of the class when it comes to role-playing specifically? I don't think it has a ton of built-in utility for role-play. I think it's very clearly focused at exploration and combat skills. Uh, That said, I think the biggest impact it has is potentially into how these abilities would affect the personality of the person who wields them, how it would impact the way you role play a character, even if it's not giving a mechanical bonus. Uh, For me, the ability to push and pull on people and objects around me might impart a certain arrogance to a person, a superiority complex, as though wizards needed even more reasons to be that way. (laughs) Very true. Okay, and so you can just picture them running around and pulling on people? Sure. I mean, just generally (laughs) thinking that, you know, I am the master of gravity this kind of a heady thought would you okay so my big thing about this is i'm gonna lean into the puns it's just kind of the person that i am right where everything's gonna be heavy this or the gravity of the situation or um shocking no one oh yeah (laughs) oh you, you cast light and then so do i right like it would just be it would be a lot of little shit like that my guy would be a little bit um a little bit comedic, I think, but you're right. Off, off the top of my head, I'm not really, I'm not really so worried about um, hitting a niche for role playing on that. I'm still going to be looking more to the race or lineage or background. Um, this, there are some out there like Assassin, which tells you 
kind of how you're going to be um, thinking about the world. This one's pretty open. Yeah. Megan? Yeah, I agree. I feel like usually when we read these kinds of things and go through subclasses, there's a very obvious way to play them, like from an emotional standpoint or from personality traits that would come from it. But there really isn't a whole heck of a lot here other than, to your point, gravity puns and perhaps how the magic would affect their brain mind. So this is one that you'll want to dig into their backgrounds and those kinds of things first while you're building and see how it kind of synergizes and fits together. But they are very much a support class like this is very you, you are support you are not the first one in battle you are not you're very much just there to assist you are a battle master you understand how to move things around to help other people be successful so i would almost play into that role play part being like you are only being successful because i am helping you and then that's where that kind of arrogance can come in not necessarily like a superiority complex but more of a you can only be successful with me on your team so you can't get rid of me is how i would play it yeah, it's it's worth pointing out as well that these are wizards. This is study. This power comes from books and from learning and knowledge. And whether you had uh, someone that you apprenticed under or uh, you have a master that has been teaching you over the years and now you're out in the world applying those those learnings, there's still intelligence as the base, even though I want to lean into strength and con and even decks to a degree as I'm pushing things around a battlefield and whatnot, um, you are still an intelligence-based class and you're still relying on all of the regular wizard spells. So yes, gravity, also fireball, right? Like, so it's it's not necessarily got a whole lot of um, of synergy with the, with the base wizard class, which is why I like you have these special spells that have been designed for you to give you kind of a more um, rounded and more specific feel. Um, are there any potential oversights or mechanical imbalances that you see? I think the only one that really sticks out is one we've mentioned a few times now. It's just the unlimited number of times you can manipulate the weight of things around you. Um, with a new player or someone that's a little more rigid in the way they play, D&D, this may not have much effect, but a very creative, thoughtful, calculating player who likes to exploit the spaces between the rules. This could really potentially screw up some encounters. Um, could also just really annoy your DM sometimes. Um, other than that, it doesn't, nothing feels to me to be overly outside of the power levels that it should be in. So I'm not so sure that there's really a, a weakness or an imbalance necessarily for that. When I'm thinking about the um, the adjust density, like, yes, you get it at second level, so you're not getting it right off the bat, but you might as well because most campaigns start at level three these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't affect things like giants or, you know, ancient dragons because it has to be large or smaller. So there are some limitations. Until you hit all- level 10 and then you get huge. Yeah. But it also eats up your action, right? True. Um, and uh, and it's for up to one minute or until your concentration ends, which means you have to, it's, it's concentrating, which means you only get to do this for one thing at a time. Yep. So that's kind of the limit, which is why I'm like, it's not a, this will always be happening, but it's not going to be totally fucking up the whole, well, you're big and you're little and you're, you're over here. You weigh six times as much and you're over, like it's, it is one thing at a time. Yeah. I think um, it's more an exploration exploit than a combat exploit. I yeah. agree 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I feel like on a battlefield, you're e you're either going to be using these abilities or you're casting your spells. You can't really do both of them at the same time all that well. So I feel like this is more for like your dungeon crawl. Like that's the balance is like a lot of the abilities they have is more for your dungeon crawl exploration, those that kind of feel. And then you're using your spells while you're in battle or in the last ditch effort, you need to move someone closer. Like you, you have that ability, but because you can't really use them both at the same time, it's a very, you have to pick and choose. So I don't, that's why I don't think it's too overpowered in any way. It just, you're going to be picking what you're doing anyways, like you would any other class. So and even if you want to be able to become heavier to give yourself advantage to um, break a grapple, you just wasted another turn. Yeah. You can't break that grapple using escape check until the next turn, right? So, yeah. so it, it does feel like it could be abused in some cases, but I'm not sweating it too much as a DM. I think you're right, Jeff. The more creative and, and nitpicky and experienced the player is, the more kerfuckery they're going to get into. The people sitting around this this episode, the, the three of us here, um, are dangerous with this kind of magic. There are definitely some people, though, that would just kind of shrug and say, yeah, okay, neat, and never think about it again because they're casting spells. Or I'm glad that we both struck like an evil smile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or it's... <laughs> It's, it's also something that a lot of inexperienced players, I think, will use once or twice at low level, be disappointed that it doesn't do what they think it's going to do, and then not use it again. Yeah. 100%. Or, or just eventually forget that they have it, because, because they have all their fun spells to use right. and all that kind of stuff, well, right? because it's an action, because it's concentration, they're a player that's not potentially up on how best to use action economy and their advantage isn't is potentially going to learn through the mistake of burning an action and then, like... Yeah, it, it's tricky for a newer player to parse what to do with this and what not to do with it. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's their first character and don't realize it is a support character and not right. necessarily the main character. You know what I mean? That can yeah. always be a hard-hitting moment for new players. <laughs> uh, Megan, you have uh, the other kind of subclass, the final wizard subclass that we are talking about out Absolutely. of all of the wizards. So. <laughs> yeah, I have the Chronergy wizard. Uh, which are basically another Time Lord type character. So they inherit and develop skills that allow them to bend time to their will. Um, and a lot of their spells and abilities do lean more towards, uh, in my mind as well, a support wizard. Um, so this is another support type character. Um, they can kind of either aid squishy team members uh, and kind of help them out if they need an, like a couple of extra rounds or that kind of stuff. Or they can even help their heavy hitting team by helping them down a, a boss quickly by slowing down time or doing other weird things. So that's that's the base. They use time. Time is their magic. Um, time so after time. Time after time. Uh, so similar to the other one, they do have a large spell list that they get that is very particular to um, the Chronergy Wizard. Um, I won't go into too much detail about each one, um, but I'll give you the, the quick snap list. So as the cantrip, they get Sapping Sting. And then as they develop, they get Gift of Alacrity, Fortunes, Favor, Wrist Lock, Pulse Wave, Temporal Shunt, Tether Essence, uh, Reality Break, and Time Ravage. So again, I won't go into detail about each one of these because you can absolutely look them up in the book, but there was one in particular that I thought was really thematic that I really enjoyed and I wanted to share it with y'all, which was the Time Ravage, which is weird because it's a ninth level spell. So it sounds like when I explain it to you, it's not that great, but- I thought you said Time Rabbit at first. Time Rabbit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Ravage, Ravage. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the, uh, well, shit, it's the uh, shit, what's the, um, the rabbit race? Crap, what's the name of them? The Heron oh. Gun. Heron Gun. So yeah, you play a Heron Gun Chronic just as the time happens. I am a time robot. 
sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. It's all good. Um, but yeah, time ravage. Uh, it's basically like an aging, age your boss quick spell. So it's a con save and if failed, they take 10 D12 damage and then immediately age, sorry, it's necrotic damage and then immediately age to 30 days away from dying of old age. Uh, which, oh shit. I'm isn't that like the weirdest and coolest thing you've ever heard? It is a ninth level spell. So this, this is like an end game spell for your wizard, which seems- this, this is a DM spell. This is how your DM puts a time limit on the end of a campaign. Like you have 30 days and you will die of old age. I'm going to mute my mic so you don't hear me typing myself some notes. How <laughs> <Well>, very dear. <laughs> but the, anyways, next I... big, the next big bad you're fighting is the time rabbit, Megan. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the time rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it so much. Adam, like, the next time I see a rat, like if I see a rabbit in the game, I'm going to be like, that motherfucker. <laughs> I know exactly what that is. <laughs> Oh my Atlanta. But I thought that that spell was a good representation of what these wizards can do yes, um, awesome. with the manipulation of time. Uh, but I'll get into some of their special abilities. So at second level, you get Chronal Shift, uh, which is the general limited control. It's it kind of like a general and limited control over time itself. But all it really allows you to do um, is for you or a creature within 30 feet of you, you can force them to reroll an attack ability or saving throw, and they must use that number which again does not seem that great. However, you can um, do this against your big bad evil guy or the person attacking you, which is different from most reroll abilities. Most reroll abilities are for only yourselves or like your, your friendlies, but you can actually force your the person fighting you to reroll their roll as well. I which... hate this as a DM. Critically, yeah. it says you make this decision after you see whether the roll succeeds or fails. So as a DM, you would have to reveal your roll. So yeah, you reveal the outcome. Yeah, yeah the outcome. Yeah, you reveal the outcome. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So I thought, and that's only at level, uh, they get that at level two. That's like their first capability is to be able to do that, which I thought was really cool. Uh, you also get temporal awareness, which is adding your in your intelligence modifier to your initiative rolls, which is amazing for wizards because going first in battle as a wizard Kaboom. can be extremely helpful. So um, especially if you're going to be playing one of these. And as we get into more, more of their abilities, um, they do have a lot of like battlefield manipulation similar to the gravity one um, that I feel would be very helpful if you can go first or at least close to the top kind of thing. Uh, at sixth level, you get momentary stasis. So this one is kind of like, um, this one's interesting to me. So it's it's a weaker version of hold person or hold monster. So basically a creature within 60 feet of you uh, has to make a con save. And on a fail, you put them in a force field bubble that incapacitates them and moves their speed to zero. So again, great way to start a battle as a wizard. Just bubble. <laughs> Can't do nothing. Uh, how long does it last? Uh, so this one is until it takes damage or until the end of your next turn. So okay. if you're at the top of the initiative, you can either stop a confrontation and turn it into a conversation is what I was thinking with this one. Or if you're at the top of the battle, you can hold it and then everyone else has a moment to figure out what they want to do kind of thing. But yeah, as soon as it takes damage, it, uh, it, it pops out of its bubble. Yeah. Or the end of your next turn. So this is essentially skip a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it takes damage. Yeah. Incapacitated is can't take actions or reactions. So it's not super powerful, but in the right moment could definitely turn the tide of a fight. Well, you can't take actions or reactions and you're 
speed is zero, which means you get bonus actions and you get to speak. And that's about it. That's yeah. Right. I feel like this is your conversation starter of, do you want to continue this fight? Cause we're about to kill you or right at the beginning of the battle being like, I don't want to fight you. Let's figure this shit out. Like, that's what it seems like to me. Or again, a way to pause the battle for everyone to take a breath and do a healing round. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, so critically though hold person is the paralyzed condition which is far more dramatic so this yeah this it's is a, it's the lesser version of in my mind yeah. for sure i'm just trying to like put together in my head the strengths and weaknesses of both against each other yeah, yeah. i'm look i'm looking at it right now you get to use it a number of times equal to your int modifier um per uh long rest only mm-hmm. so this is powerful, but you got to manage this. I mean, you, in yeah. theory, you're using it four or five times a day. But if you're like me as a dungeon master, you are chaining together uh, encounter after encounter with, of course, the big bad being the last encounter. I mean, I, I'm going to probably expect that my players are going to hold off on something like this to the very end. It also doesn't use up your spell slots, though, which... Right. I think is a, is, is a benefit in versus using a whole person or holds a monster or whatever, because this one doesn't require to use a spell slot. So this is also something that if you're the type of player that likes to pay close attention to the initiative order of every creature on the on the field, if you have the right timing with this, it can really fuck up the bad guy's plans. It can potentially keep a, a downed ally conscious or alive to prevent an attack that would have otherwise happened um here's a thought what does this mean for someone for uh what what does this mean if you put if you use this on a creature that has legendary actions um legendary actions get to use their because legendary actions recharge at their turn and this is turn based um i would say that this still works as normal and they do not get to use legendary actions until either they've taken damage or until you know the end of of the uh, wizard's next turn. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is potentially a huge interruption in an enemy that has legendary actions. Well, you have to keep in mind. Yes, it it could be. It's also, but though, if you're fighting something that has legendary actions, they will probably save your con, the con save. Like that's, that's the other flip side to that is they would probably have that ability unless you're fighting like a squishy wizard or something. If you're fighting, yeah, if you're fighting an enemy caster, this isn't a spell, so they can't counterspell it. Yeah. They they may not have high constitution. Uh, I wouldn't use this in a turn where everyone's going to be dogpiling damage, but this could be a great way to give your cleric an opportunity to get people up that are down. Healing round. Yeah. Without taking repeated blows from legendary action damage. Yeah. Exactly. What's interesting is that you can still make deck saves if you're frozen with this. Yeah. Right? So you still get to make saves. You can't use your reaction to make a save. So if it's because sometimes it's very specific, they can use the reaction to save against. You can't do that because you're incapacitated. You auto fail. But if it's just a regular save, like Like a fireball. Yeah, decks against fireball. You can still do that even though you are uh, in this bubble. This is a really interesting ability with a lot of subtlety to it that isn't immediately apparent if you skip past it quickly. And you also have to keep in mind too that if the wizard is shutting down, 
Like as an action, you can do this. It lasts until the end of your next turn. So you can chain turn after turn after turn like Stunning Strike does, right? Yeah. Do this over and over and over again. However, unlike Stunning Strike, this uses up your action. And yeah. you don't get to cast a spell as, as a bonus action on this because that's not how wizards work. You have to cast a spell of first level or a cantrip in order to get that bonus action cantrip. You're not doing that. You're using a feature, which means you don't get that bonus action spell. So you are, yes, removing whatever this enemy is from the initiative order. You're also removing your wizard from the initiative order. This would be a very interesting wizard to multi-class with sorcerer. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, very yep. much so. This plus quickened spell could be a lethal combination. Yeah, there you go. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> There's still more. <laughs> yeah, that's only yes. six level. Right? That's yeah. only six level, my guys. <laughs> Very interesting. I like it. Yeah. All right. So at 10th uh, level, you get Arcane Abiance. So I'm going to say it. It's, um, it's abeyance, but okay. No, I no, it's, I'm, it's I'm a, say every word different now because of Jeff. <laughs> it's just a typo. It's arcane ambiance. Ambiance. Oh, that's what yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's pretty neat. Um, you can cast any spell that is fourth level or lower and store it in like a little gray bead that you can give to anyone. And the object um, does have, like the bead itself does have an AC of 15 and a hit point of one. So please don't drop it. Um, but the spell, uh, anyone can use the spell that's within it, and it uses your spell attack rolls and your spell save uh, DC, etc., um, which can be quite powerful for fourth level spells because you could just put a fourth level fa- like fireball in that and hand that to someone. So here you go, my friend, enjoy. But it only lasts for an hour. The bead. The bead. So this is kind of like your if you're if you're pre-prepping for the big battle or what have you, or you're going into a dungeon crawl, this might be a good thing to infuse a spell into a bead and hand to a person. So this is a great escape method for the rogue ranging way out ahead of the party. Yeah. If you can give them a bead of dimension door or something. <laughs> I'm thinking about the variant rule for your rests. Because there is one where an hour is a long rest and it's 10 minutes for a short rest. Also, the spell Catnap, which gives you a short rest. If you've got somebody who is um, who has multiclassed with Warlock, so they're getting spell slots on their next short rest, you can load up with a bunch of spells ahead of time. Take a Catnap, or if you're using those variant rest rules, and then you are essentially operating at double your low-level spell slots. I mean, you have... 50 minutes left to use them yeah that, that's <laughs> a little bit intense it's gonna you'll need to kind of line it all up perfectly in order to get the benefits of that but right. it is definitely something that i'd be i'd be looking at um also so if you drop it more than 10 feet it's done because it has yeah. one hit point that's one hit point so that's why i'm like don't drop it so like don't yeah like okay yeah. all right I, I, I wonder like i would also in my mind do the same rules that we thought about for wands that if you dropped it more than 10 feet like it fell out of your pocket like hit the ground and it fell more than 10 feet and lost like i feel like it would pop off whatever spell was in there would go it says that it vanishes in a flash of light and the spell is lost um, which is yeah. to prevent the player you give it to from throwing it at the bad guy yeah, yeah. It, it stops it from being a arcane grenade yeah uh, but i just think that would be again a funny yeah. little flavorful thing of just I, I would add a I would add the roll a d20 and on a one it explodes. Yeah. <laughs> I just like being chaotic. <laughs> oh I agree. fuck, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Megan's right. not talking about D D either. Nope. Well, I mean, I live my life the way I play my life, so <laughs> 
All right. Finally, at 14th level, you get Convergent Future, which this is your Doctor Strange. I've seen the multiverse. Um, I can see multiple futures. And basically, you decide if someone's role is successful or not. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty powerful in the sense that uh, so it's basically any attack roll, ability check or saving throw. You can use a reaction to ignore the die roll completely and then just decide whether or not it has the minimum amount to be able to succeed or fail. Basically, your choice. Well, there's a huge caveat on this. The last paragraph there. Uh, yeah, you get a level of exhaustion. So you get tired. Yeah. yeah. And only a long rest. Like you can't, a cleric can't cast greater restoration and take that exhaustion away. No. So it's like a last ditch effort. I don't know. Like in my mind, I'm like, couldn't even think of like a scenario where this would be extremely useful other than a very, very like last minute pivotal moment that you would do, that you would use this. This feels like a sacrificial spell to me. Yeah, this this feels like it's the it's the big boss and you know that you've got him on the ropes and you know the barbarian is pumping everything he's got into him and misses. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> we don't kink shame. <laughs> um and uh yeah and they miss and so you would use this uh, you are only ever going to use this six times in a rest and then you right yeah yeah this this is the paladin saved up their last third level spell slot for a smite and with yeah hard yeah and then you're just like no we need this like you can do it like <laughs> yeah your your assassin rogue really needs to get that first attack off yep in yeah. initiative Right, like so, there are. This is going to synergize really well with specific subclasses and yep. specific features and specific yep. scenarios. But it does feel like uh, at fourteenth level, you're not using this a whole bunch, or you're using it right before you know you're getting a guaranteed long rest. Right. Right. Yeah. Very much so. But yeah. I also like the idea that you get exhaustion. So in my head, this is not Doctor Strange. It's Quicksilver. Okay. Like I can see you, that. you freeze time. You go over. You move the hand to just like two inches to the right and you go back to where you were before and now you're fucking exhausted and you need a snack and a, and a, and a sit down yeah you need uh, a pepsi and, yeah, yeah and, and they hit right yeah just like i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> nope those are words yep quicksilver it's a kind of mercury which moves very slowly hmm. and is also a very fast superhero for no reason yeah makes but i feel die. like in in pop culture there's a lot more time lord time wizards out there than i feel like there are gravity controllers i feel like is what we're learning so yeah, yeah. and the fact that it took us a matt mercer book to get like a time wizard in D D is kind of ridiculous isn't there a time sorcerer though am i uh there's the clockwork there's yeah the clockwork, clockwork sorcerer yeah. who's more about constructs uh, there is some time stuff in there but it's more about um the flavors out of constructs and and the regular progression of time as opposed to i read in a book that i can just rewind it and do this right like, yeah whereas is, this one is very again it's very support based you're manipulating the battlefield you're helping out your fellow people like and, it's very yeah, there's also uh every single bard if they fail the performance check it feels like an hour goes by <laughs> it's like when dan monologues <laughs> oh, so um yeah, let's grab dice and roll. I have questions again. They're familiar questions, but they're questions. Two. Oh. Four. Uh, I got an 18, so I'm talking to myself again. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, you stats, love it. Stats, race, background, where's the synergy here? I think that we've spoken about this at length. Like, we can see a lot of potential. Um, this really does seem like a subclass that you can abuse. Uh, if you're able to craft it appropriately. Uh, multi-classing is really 
dangerous here. Um, one of the things that I like is uh, is thinking about one of the more long-lived creatures, um, like a, like an elf or a dwarf. Yeah, like a, like a high elf or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be able to kind of see the long view on this a little bit more than, uh, than a short-lived creature like a kobold. It doesn't really suit kobold necessarily as much as, uh, as it would one of these longer-lived creatures in my head. But then again, maybe the really short-lived ones are desperate to get every moment out of every second. So they would lean into this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going the other way around from you, Adam. I think this is something that suits the stereotypical human wizard seeking power because their life is kind of short. Um, I think this is a really interesting path to take if you're playing a wizard that you want to eventually become a lich. You spend all your time studying how to manipulate time and figure all this stuff out, but don't really get what you want out of it and end up having to take the path of lichdom to find your immortality. Yeah, I love me a good like heartthrob story of like the wizard that's researching time magic because of a great loss or a great lost love or some weird sob sap background story that oh hold on i'm gonna combine the two of yours it's the wizard who's in love with an elf and he's just <gasps> down his own aging so they can be together for longer oh Adam. now the funny thing <laughs> is you basically just described it's a, appropriate that this is uh from the wildmont book because the character that we've just collaboratively described is caleb widowgast from the mighty nine although he's not a chronergy wizard the class came after he started the character but a lot of what we just said is that character's path. Oh, oh really? I love I, that. I am not a critical role guy. I, I respect it, but I have not, I do not have the hours. I was, I, I do not, totally I do not have the fair. time. I would have totally to be fair. a, I would have to be a time wizard to be able to have yeah. enough time to watch that shit. <laughs> He's a human wizard who seeks time magic to right a wrong done to people he loved in his past, who ends up in a relationship with an elf. <laughs> oh i love that I love so it's, it's very much what we just and i very vague because obviously there's still people out there that haven't consumed it all and will yeah but. i'm no, sorry I've... aren't they on like season three at this point like yep. as in, aren't we beyond spoiler territory for season one of, of critical hey, hey man if you want to give out spoilers i won't stop you well maybe i'm just desperate to get the spoilers because i know i'm never gonna actually sit down and and work my way through it if if you want to have an in-depth critical role conversation off mic or off recording we can but i'm not going to ruin shit for anybody out there yeah okay not in the middle of this episode maybe maybe we'll have that as a special sidebar episode or something (laughs) where i I can just sit there and say why why would they do that why and have you try to justify it based on memory hilarious yep i'm into it i've had people try to explain critical role to me in the past and there's so many moving parts so many big personalities and and so much um production that has gone into it with so many episodes that i lose track and i'm a pretty organized person and and it is it sounds like every long-term DD campaign where i mean every once in a while we'll talk about the highlights that happen in our campaigns and they're insane right um we've been talking about uh how heavy characters can get and yeah we did with the gravitargist yeah and i'm sitting here thinking about my (laughs) my dragonborn wizard who I gave metal bones to so that <gasps> she weighed an extra 500 pounds and would sink instead of swim. And so, it was a problem because we were on the water. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a pirate campaign. So like yeah. that's, that's an issue. Um, so like everybody's got weird shit in their, in their D&D campaign. It all sounds like nonsense unless you're, you're living it and breathing it. Ah, 
I I wish I had the time. Maybe it's it's a lot, and it's not for everybody. You know, anybody that any diehard Critical Role fan that tries to say it's for everybody is deluding themselves. I love it. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I have said in the past that I have uh, I have issues listening to other people have fun, and I have issues listening to other dungeon masters make in the moment calls when I know yep. that. Wait a minute, that's not the rule. It also gives me a lot of paranoia. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not really big on running actual plays on mm-hmm. It's a Mimic because I know that I'm going to make some judgment call and you would not believe the hate mail that we get on YouTube. Oh my God. Um, oh, that's not how I would do it. Well, my yeah. DM does. I'm like, yeah, okay, man. Here's the thing though. Rule number one of putting things on YouTube is don't read the comments. Oh, absolutely. However, I'm going to read the comments. I have pretty thick skin too, but like I, I have to say that Matt Mercer is brilliant and a genius in many ways, and uh, he is not the kind of DM I am. But I thoroughly respect him. I also respect uh, respect the bravery that he exhibits going oh, out and hundred uh, percent. He puts himself out there not just by doing character voices and by being present and vulnerable in the moment, but he interacts with fans. That's that's just and those and- fans are are intense and from what i understand he is a highly sensitive man who is heavily introverted he is a very very brave strong person oh yeah this is it, this is not about him stroking his ego this is about him embracing his passion right? and and doing he and doing it for the love of his friends and the fans yeah all right okay back back to the uh back to the episode Cut the um, last 10 minutes out <laughs> yeah. um in your opinion what are the strengths of the class when it comes to role playing? Um, I mean, time is such a well. Time is a construct. Time is such a <laughs> time uh, is a weird circle. Yeah, uh. uh, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. You can play this a lot of different ways, and and you can you can really lean into the seeing the the big picture, the long view, or getting really noodly with the every second counts. Uh, I could really see you being highly anxious that we're wasting time you guys guys every moment why are we taking another short rest we have shit to do we got to go and at the same time being well hold on everybody take a breath we have the time to deal with this um so there are the two different ways to play with like that a time-based character but nobody is immortal at least not at the beginning of a D campaign right um and uh and so isn't there, what is the, no, it's Druid that gets to like stop aging, isn't it? Pretty much. And then there's the whole, I think there's a monk thing too. Yeah. So but it's basically it, become functionally immortal. And then Druids, I think just their body stops aging, but I think they still die eventually. Yeah. So, and I think all that's at high level too. So you're not able yeah. to really multi-class over to get the benefits of, of the whole damn thing. But, right. um, but it's interesting. I, I love that that spell that just makes people 30 days from this <laughs> I, I keep thinking about that and it's fantastic i'll tell you this if somebody casts that on me i am immediately going to try to get to that spell so that when i get 29 days in i cast it on myself again and Ooh. reset the 30 oh shit i didn't even think about that that's brilliant so i would be on a consistent quest for for using this at like every 30 days i have got a little clockwork watch on my wrist that's going to go a gnome gave me an alarm every 29 days the only shame is that since it's a ninth level spell how often do you really go through 
months of gameplay at levels what 17 18 19 20 well you know honestly i have i have noticed that dnd campaigns go one of two ways they either span weeks and weeks and weeks with overland travel or you'd have just leveled 10 times in the last 48 hours because we have super time crunched this uh it depends on if you're counting experience or you're going milestones yeah i'm just thinking like when it comes to the passage of time at high level play because so little is a threat to you anymore I think that 30-day reset, once you can attain it, is almost a clerical problem and not a role-play problem anymore because you're going to cross that 30-day threshold in behind-the-scenes time. Yeah. Because if you are depicting the passage of six months of time or three months of time, once you're at level 18 on, it's not, you know, you're you're hand-waving a lot of the time that passes and not actually role-playing through it. See, the other side of things, too, is though at the high level, I'm throwing cataclysmic god-level events at you, so the time is, like, the clock is ticking. Right. Part of the challenge at that level is resource management, and that means that there is a ticking time bomb somewhere. The uh, prophesized apocalypse is going off in three days. Get your shit together, right? Like, here comes the Tarrasque, right? When I am, when I'm at that level, Megan knows the pressure ramps up to act very quickly. This is how we sink cities. <laughs> yeah, we, we you literally did it twice, Megan. You sank- it's a it's a theme. We like to think, oh, the city's oh, we'll just sink it. This is fine. We'll just burn it to the ground. This is cool. It's, <laughs> it's a it's a submarine. It belongs on the bottom of the ocean. It's just where it should be, from what I understand. There were so <laughs> many cities on the bottom of of rivers by the end of that campaign. It was ridiculous. But like I weirdly enough, like understanding that. Like, I feel like this is the character that would ask what day it is every day. <laughs> what day is it? What time is it? Where are we going? Like, all like they would just constantly have no concept of time whatsoever because they were constantly like seeing into the future or like constantly having dreams of what the future is. I feel like this is a character that you can throw dreams at and like, uh, and have like visions in their night and like their sleep and stuff like that. And they could be role play that out so like the dm would send them a note being like tonight you dream of xyz or like this is a potential issue in your future and then you can role play that out by having those interactions with the people and the pcs in your party to say i had this dream this is what could but this is a one of the potentials that could happen or you could hold it close to your chest and decide whether or not you're going to tell them kind of thing if it's something that's dangerous or you think someone's going to die you can try and stop it yourself and that becomes like your your goal in life basically is to use these dreams as like your understanding of what could potentially happen and how you can mitigate it. Yeah. If you're not going to lean into the divination wizard, if you're not going to lean into, if there's no cleric talking to a God, this would be how you would get your prophecies. 100%. Yeah. Cause you're not always going to have a godly character on your team. Right. So this would be a good window into that area and a fun, and again, a fun way to role play that out because you have this crazy time wizard being like, what day is it? Cool. Tomorrow you might die. (laughs) Oops, can say. (laughs) In 30 days from now. In 30 days from now, I accidentally popped off a spell. So you have 30 days to live. My guy, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Are there any potential oversights or mechanical imbalances? I think you were first, weren't you? Yeah, I I think this is... (laughs) This is powerful. This is interesting. There's a lot of really nitpicky noodly bits here. Yeah. Um, you need to know the game pretty well. There, there's going to be a learning curve. Potential <laughs> oversights or mechanical imbalances? I, I agree with you. I think for the average player to the beginner player, it would be difficult for this to be overpowered, but could still be fun. 
And even for a more advanced player who's really getting nitpicky with it, you have to put so much thought and effort into making some of these things hit as hard as they can that it feels like a worthy trade-off. Because can it do very powerful things? Yes. Will they have to put in real effort to make it work? Also, yes. Yeah, I would say something similar. Like, like you have to do things in a certain order for them to actually pop off in such a way to be extra creative with this. So I don't feel like it's too overpowered. I feel it's very similar to the gravity one where you're either going to be utilizing this magic or you're going to be doing your spells. You can't do both at the same time or you have to be very, very strategic about how they pop off, when they pop off and your roles have to be accurate and good. So yeah. like it's... um. It's powerful, but it's hard to be powerful with this one. Therefore, I think it's quite balanced. I don't think there's any real oversights here. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can email the podcast at info at it's a mimic.com if you would like to harass Adam or whoever else checks it in the meantime. We are always taking mailbag questions at any of these sources, whether it be messaging on Instagram or Facebook or the pinned post on the subreddit for mailbag questions, unless you're Pepperina, no more. Yeah, no more. yeah, Pep has been banned. But come at us, bring us stuff. I mean, cookies are great, but like, talk to us. We're all, you know, nerds, so talk to us more. Oh, you're going to go like, we're all relatively friendly, and I was going to be like, you bitch. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say lonely, but that's just me. Oh, it's okay, I'm lonely too. <laughs> it's me and my cat, so. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to speak for anybody else because I know half the people, at least half the people in this group of schmoes are, you know, married. Oh, it must be nice for them. <laughs> My favorite is Terry, who on Discord, his little his little tag is, God, I'm lonely. <laughs> that sounds accurate for him. Checks out. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we wrap up the episode, let's dig into a specific character build we'd be interested in for one of these subclasses. Uh, let's grab our dice and roll initiative to see who's going to go first. 16. 15. Thank God I'm not first. Oh, I'm 13. Okay, so I'm going to last with a 13. That never happens. On All right, so Megan. Take us All on. right, so I would definitely do time. Um, the, you uh, would, you would. You, you sound like you commit a lot of crime. Crime with time. Yeah, you would do time. <laughs> yeah, but this is the first one that I would actually cross-class. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a cross class person. I usually like to do just one, just to make things less complicated for me, but I like the idea of a gnome artificer who is also a time wizard. So, um, oh. you get your, you, cause you get your boost to your intelligence and your constitution, which, which helps with just your stat boost and your stat block in general. But also I just like the idea that they're just covered in clocks and just constantly like, like trying to keep track of time, but can't. So it just keeps making new clocks because like i would only take one level of artificer just to get this and like, like they're just constantly trying to figure out what time it is or like what month it is or like they saw a vision so now they've got a clock set to when that vision is thought to come through but the clock will go off and it can't remember what vision that was and they're like something is supposed to happen today but i don't know what it was supposed to happen today like and i feel like that would be a fun thing to role play because a gnome you can play a little bit quirky, a little bit crazy, uh, a little bit out there, a little bit out to lunch and just be constantly like clocks and alarms going off and then constantly being like, I don't know what that's for. I should really get a project manager so I can figure out what this was for. <laughs> like I also really like the idea of having a homunculus go and like vomit up one of these beads. Oh, yeah. 
I like the idea of playing a character that has a keen mind feat alongside this character and being constantly irritated that you won't stop asking me what time it is. It would be what day is it? (laughs) Why won't anyone just ask me which way is north? Why is it always what time and what day? (laughs) You have so many clocks, can't you tell? But these clocks are for other things. (laughs) This one's the time in water deep and this one's the time in... Would you like to buy a sundial? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I thought that would be fun. All right, I guess I'm next then. Mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting to take the Graviturgy wizard down a darker path, as I am, I tend to do, I think probably because I DM so much, I'm more about thinking about bad guys than thinking about good guys. I like the idea of a drow Graviturgy wizard who takes the uh, crush your enemies thing, literally, who just wants to use gravity magic to grind their enemies into a fine paste using mm, their magic. That's awesome. I like because yeah, I just like like the edge lord of yeah <laughs> of gravity between <laughs> like reverse gravity and all the other graviturgy spells from the Wild Mount book. Like, there's a bunch of different spells you can use to kind of make them all feel gravity related and just have a sick fascination with watching your enemies be squashed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Could be a very interesting villain or evil character i also like it if it's a, a female drow then you are forcing them to bend the knee Ooh, by just increasing good. gravity yep i'm about it and then for that wizard i'm using a rod like a scepter right like this is not a no a no 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 the tentacle rod. <laughs> a t- tentacle rod <laughs> guys we don't <laughs> <laughs> oh my god though i really want to build i want to build that big bad evil like queen that just is always like everyone is always at a, at a bent knee always yeah a drow matron mother yeah do it beautiful Fuck yeah um yeah that uh honestly the thing that i'm going to i didn't know which one to to lean into uh, as far as the um subclasses go but i think i'm going to look at uh at time for a moment I really like Kalistar because they've got all sorts of weird psychic nonsense. So the idea that they're always kind of looking through you or they're thinking about something else, they literally have uh, a creature living inside their minds, right? So um, that might give them an extra, like an aberration too. So it might give them a little extra connection to the idea of, uh, of how time moves differently in different realities. I think it, you could lean into the um, the more clockwork side of time, like you were talking about, Megan, with the uh, a warforged even, like a construct, which is all about order traditionally and the constant passage of time that never, never really stops. And then having the ability to change that, especially because warforged are relatively young and new, the ability to manipulate time would be very very interesting because there's not a whole lot of these wizards out there you're gonna run into diviners and evokers and necromancers left right and center but you're not gonna run into a whole lot of these guys either of these subclasses so they're gonna be fairly unique um there's not gonna be a whole lot of monsters designed against them so mm-hmm. like i want to play something that's special it's not just out of the php i want to i want to do something that's a little bit more unique when it comes to this level of uh and again like a loxodon for for graviturgy feels really good because big and powerful and gravity um i was gonna say do a turtle and just make everybody like come down to your level like be as slow as you are <laughs> 
Or, or you could do a turtle from the. Uh, I don't think turtles have long lifespans, which annoy me. It's just mm. it's dumb. Uh, that is an instant homebrew change in any campaign I ever run. One hundred percent. And every turtle speaks a little bit like Treebeard too, but just slow and methodical to get the point across. So the idea of time would be a really interesting one for them as well. Um, yeah, there's so many really flavorful options. Both of these classes can feel very, very different. Both these subclasses, rather, yeah, could feel very different depending on your build. Um, there's a lot of uh, utility here and a lot of different directions you can go in. Uh, I quite like these. These are great additions to uh, the wizard class, whereas some of the other ones have been kind of womp womp. I didn't really care for Order of Scribes too much, but I'm totally into this one. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? I like them both. I think they're both fun. I think they're both, they offer something a little bit different and outside the norm of what we expect a D&D wizard to be. Yeah. And I feel like they offer something very specific and yet still keep the window open for your role play capabilities, which I find that sometimes when we do subclasses, you are very pigeonholed to like one type of play style. And I feel like both of these offer a large enough window for you to be more creative than you could ever imagine to be. And you're not forced into one thing or another when it comes to like your background and your personality traits and those pieces. So um, I would find these very enjoyable to build. I find it really disappointing that neither of them got a reprint in Tasha's. Yeah. Like these They're... are going, these like the what what's the the battle rager from Sword Coast Adventures Guide, they're really afterthoughts that a lot of people may not know exist, right? If you go out and buy Player's Handbook, Xanathar's, and Tasha's uh, on D&D Beyond, you may not know that you can get these as well, right? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear with the way that they've handled the Critical Role stuff to this point that they're sandboxing it all into its own thing. Yeah, I really feel like they treated Acquisitions Incorporated the same way. Like, hey, we support it. It is canon, but it's not our canon. Don't don't put it on our ship. We're over here designing it this way. Here's here's the Dungeons and Dragons Plus, right? Which I feel like is kind of a, a misunderstanding on Wizards' part of what D&D players want. Give us all the things. Yeah. All the things. Right. So all the things. I understand that what you're saying is probably what they're thinking, but it shows a little bit of a misunderstanding of what we, the consumers, want. We want all the things in our D&D. Give us all the things. Yeah, and honestly, I really hope when they reboot this, if we get 5.5 or 6, which is supposed to be backwards compatible, whatever they do, when we get a new player's handbook, I, I hope that we start to see some of these uh, lesser-known subclasses get reprints. I would like to get a compendium of subclasses, the player's compendium or tome or whatever, just so that we have it all in one place so that I can turn to my players at the table and say, here's this book, build a character instead of, well, here are these nine books. And do you have this one? Because there's a really neat thing over here. But I mean, I guess that's probably going to be counterproductive for their sales when they spread it all out and want you to buy everything. Which is interesting. I uh, noticed yesterday or the day before, um, and it's relevant now because of D&D Beyond and Wizards being the same thing, effectively, starting, I think, Thursday. Um, they are pulling the ability to buy, I think it's Volos, Mordenkainen's. It's just and, those two. It's just those two. And just rolling it into the new Monsters of the Multiverse. 
that when you go through and you look in D&D Beyond at the different races available, it, it puts legacy as a tag on all the stuff out of Morton Cannons of Bolos now because it's being released in an updated format, which also is going to potentially cannibalize sales a little bit. Yeah. Now, for those of you listening, um, we're recording this in May. This is getting released in July. So the, <laughs> yeah. it has uh, the time has come and gone now to go out and buy them. But uh, you will not be able to buy legacy uh, material on D&D Beyond. So once it has been retired, it's gone. And by the time you're listening to this episode, it's gone. Unless so, you already own it. Unless you already own it, right? So um, for new players or people that waited a little too long, you're going to have to go hit Amazon or other places to try and find the old copies and, I don't know, scan some some pages for yourself to put them online. But uh but that's uh, that's very limiting. I'm interested to see what Wizards is going to do moving forward. Anyway, speaking of Wizards, episode. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Wizards, let's wrap up this uh, this episode. We've got a lot more ground to cover with other classes and subclasses, so subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be looking into a nasty and disgusting brute of a classic enemy, the Troll. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsmimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of podcasts out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So we've discussed all the various ways a player character can gain access to magic in D&D. If you were given the opportunity to gain access to D&D magic in your own life, which class's method would you choose? Magic via music like a bard? A path of study like a wizard, the druid's connection to nature. Um, wild magic barbarian. I just, just like, I, well, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> when, I get, when I get angry enough, bang, shit happens. So, oh man, I, I would definitely be like nature, one with nature. I'm definitely a, I know that's weird, but I would love to just be outdoors and be like, I can make nature happen. That'd be my favorite. That's not weird. I mean, I know that you and I both did scouting, right? Like, so we're, oh, yeah. we're Loki. Although I've only ever seen you in a thoroughly urban setting, I understand that we are both like naturey people, but like low-key nature. That most oh, I, I love camping. I love the quiet. I like when you can see the skies. I like mm-hmm. going in the forest. We should do, we should do a, uh, it's a mimic camping and drag the laptop out and record around a campfire sometime. Oh my God. Awful. But- <laughs> no i'm not the outdoors so much as just like trying to combine those two things in one just sounds miserable oh playing dd around a campfire is dope though that would uh, be great yeah at any rate um sorcerer for me because it's the least amount of work required on my part plus i think it'd be the easiest one to keep secret from people with meta magic fair enough yeah i guess you could like just very quietly subtly just blink your eyes and someone immolates i mean i've had some bosses i'll tell you <laughs> In line Exes, bosses you know <laughs> did you guys hear about all that uh, spontaneous human combustion that's happening in this neighborhood weird weird <laughs> <laughs> why do you bring that up it's just something i thought about <laughs> it's weird <laughs> all right, asking good. for a friend <laughs>
This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast returns with even more wizards because Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has more magic. I have a cricket in the background. I will <laughs> stop recording. I can hear it. <laughs> this episode is, is, is actually on lizards, apparently, because my geckos are, oh, one of them's hunting. Okay, never mind. This episode. <laughs> right, you're, you're going to have to learn quick. I'm going to murder this cricket. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it yeah. again. Yeah. And it only does it when I'm talking too, like it's saying, you're boring. Cricket noises, bitch. Yeah, absolutely. What do you mean, absolutely, Megan? That cricket has comedic timing and it's great. You should <laughs> save it. You should name it Gilbert for the late Gilbert Gottfried. I was going to name it Jiminy, but I can name it Gilbert. When I worked in pet stores a long time ago, uh, one of the guys I worked with every now and again when we used to have to pre-bag crickets at Petco, he would uh, bag a pair of crickets, a male and a female, and he would write the life story of Romeo and Juliet the cricket on the bag and then hang it up where customers could see it. How do you know the difference between a male and a female cricket? I don't remember, but it's apparently not that hard to tell once they're above like the medium size. Oh. They're very visible body parts that are different. I just, it's been years since I've thought about having to identify did, did, sexual did you, parts on crickets. Did you just walk, walk around the pet store lifting up all the cricket skirts? I mean, obviously. Who, who is editing this episode? I just want to... <laughs> I feel so bad for them. <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, it's me. Fuck. Oh, suck. Never mind. Keep, keep talking you, about crickets. No, all right, <laughs> right, yeah. You done played yourself, Adam. So, uh... <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.